Well, I hope that encourages you to hear the boys and girls of Gateway singing of the glories of God. What great truth they've been learning, not just in their Bible study lesson, but through the songs. And boys and girls, thank you for leading us in that song of worship and praise of the glories of our God. So thankful for each one of you. It's good to see you this morning, Gateway family. Find James chapter 1 in your copy of God's Word. James chapter 1. As we're continuing through the letter of James, we're looking at the oldest book in the New Testament. This letter from James, the brother of Jesus, was written to Christians then and to now to help us know how to walk out our faith, how to live out our faith in our daily lives. He's writing to them because, honestly, friends, it's hard to walk out our faith. It's hard to live out our faith in our daily lives. One reason for that is because of the trials, the difficulties of life. In the first 11 verses, first 12 verses of James, he's shown us two times that we're going to face trials of many kinds. He's presented to us the challenges of that. But James knows that the greatest threat we face are not the trials, are not the circumstances. What makes it so hard to live out our faith, to walk in faith, is what we see when we look in the mirror. It's ourselves, that we ourselves are the greatest challenge to living out our faith. We are the threat against walking in faith on a daily basis. And so as we come to James chapter 1 this morning, verses 13 to 15, we're going to see in this text how very clear it is that our greatest hindrance, our greatest challenge, our greatest problem is ourselves. And so as we read this text this morning, I want you to be looking for how does James show us that we are the greatest problem that we have? And also, what is the hope that we have? If we're the problem, what's the answer? What is the solution? What is the hope? So let's come to James chapter 1, verse 13. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'll be reading out the English Standard Version, and the words will also be on the screen for you. James chapter 1, starting in verse number 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. Father, what a treasure that we get to hold this morning in our hands, a copy of your word, and see it for ourselves, and read it for ourselves, and think about it together, and sing about it together, and study it together. Lord, what a blessing we have. May we not take lightly the privilege we have of access to the unchanging word of God. I pray this morning your word would be very alive to us. Your Holy Spirit would open it to us and illumine it to us and convict us and encourage us and teach us through your word. And I pray you would make us more like Christ through what we see this morning in your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So here's what I want you to see from James chapter 1 this morning is simply this. When we are tempted, our hope for victory comes from God. When we are tempted, there's that word again, that we will be tempted. But when we are tempted, we do not have to fall to those temptations. And we're warned about the threats of falling to temptations. But there is hope for us. It is possible to have victory over temptations. But the hope, friends, is not in us. The problem is in us. So the victory has to come from someone else. And the victory comes from God himself. When we are tempted, our hope for victory, which is real, comes from God. I want to kind of take that apart and see this in James' letter this morning. Let's start with the reality of our situation and what we face. The reality of temptations. Go back to verse 13 of James chapter 1. James begins, let no one say when he is tempted. Now let's just pause there. There's a word in this first part of James that I really don't like. That's the word when. Remember this from trials? It's not if you face trials, but when you face trials. And here James brings that hard word back to us again. Not if you are tempted, but when you are 
tempted. We've already, we will face trials, we will face temptations. They certainly will come. It is our normal experience in a cursed and a fallen world. So if it's a when we will be tempted, what then is a temptation? I think we know, but let's be clear on what we mean when we say we're being tempted. Now, the word temptation is not specific to our faith. It's used commonly in the culture as well. Perhaps you've even heard friends say things like, hey, don't tempt me to eat that cake. Or, hey, that sounds like a fun weekend, but don't tempt me. I've got a test on Monday I've got to get ready for. Just broadly in the culture, to tempt someone to do something means to try to convince them to do something, to try to entice them to do something. But in Scripture, to be tempted has a more nuanced meaning. Yes, it's trying to entice. Yes, it's trying to convince. But in Scripture, it always means to entice someone to sin, to entice someone to disobey God, to try to persuade someone, to convince someone to disobey God. And remember, sin is anything that's contrary to God's will. Sin is both sins of commission, doing what God has said not to do, and sins of omission, not doing what God has said to do. So a temptation is trying to get us to either do what God has said do not do, or to try to get us to not do what God has said to do. As I was reading on it this week, I came across an interesting definition of temptation I had not heard before that really resonated with me. This author said that temptation is evil being presented to us as good. That a temptation is evil because it's disobeying God, whether committing a sin or not doing what God said. It's evil being presented as good. But he went on to say a temptation is destruction coming to us dressed up like happiness. A temptation is destruction that comes to us dressed up like happiness. It seems like we're going to find something happy and good, but inside it's really going to destroy us. And friends, the reality is every single one of us will face those temptations. And all too often, friends, we fall short and fail in them, don't we? That's why if you see what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, we have this reality from God's word that if we say we have no sin, sin is when we fall to the temptation, we do not have victory over the temptation. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The reality is even as followers of Christ, we still fall, we still sin regularly. Why do we fall to temptation, friends? Why does temptation have power over us so many times? Well, there's lots of excuses people make for why we fall to temptation. And on the extreme, some people try to blame God, and some people try to blame Satan. Now, there's a lot of things in between those, and if you're in a life group, you'll get to wrestle with those in your life group some this week. But let's think about the two extremes this morning. First of all, trying to blame God for why we fall into sin. Perhaps you've heard people say things like, well, I can't help it. God made me this way. I can't do anything about it. It's trying to blame God for our sinful choices. Or you'll hear people say things like, well, if God had not put me in that situation, this would not have happened. We're blaming God for our circumstances, for the trials, to justify our sin. Friends, this is nothing new. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, when God made the first people, Adam and Eve, and when the first temptation came to to Adam, what happened to this? We'll look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, and look at what happens when God confronts Adam after he sinned. And the man said, he's answering God, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. So at first glance, he's blaming the woman. But more than that, he's not just blaming Eve, he's blaming God. The woman whom you gave to me. God, I can't help it. It's your fault. You put me in these circumstances. If you hadn't given me this woman, if you hadn't given me this Eve, then I would have done this. Adam is trying to blame God for his sin. But does God accept his excuse? No, of course not on that. The curse still comes. Punishment still comes. Adam is still held accountable for his choice to follow the temptation. You cannot blame God for your sin. That's what James is saying. Go back to verse 13 of our text today. Let no one say when he is tempted, 
I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. In the Greek, this, the tense of this last phrase, that he himself tempts no one, is a kind of a rare sense than how it's used here. It means it can never happen. That never, ever can God ever tempt anyone he has ever made. Yes, we've seen in recent weeks that God tests our faith. God tests our faith to prove our faith to us, to grow our faith. But God will never tempt us. God will never lead us to sin. God will never seek to undermine that faith that he's testing and building up. God will never seek to encourage us to do anything contrary to his will. Therefore, when we find ourselves struggling with temptation and falling to temptation, we cannot blame God because God will never tempt us. So some people try to blame God when they sin. Now, on the other extreme, some people try to blame Satan for when they sin and they fall to temptation. And we can understand why some people might be prone to think that. If temptation is evil being presented to us as good, that's really what Satan does. He dresses up destruction to look like happiness. Think back to Genesis 3 again in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Remember what happens? The serpent, this is Satan, speaks to the woman, Eve, and says, You will not surely die. Verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan knows the destruction that will come if Adam and Eve follow the temptation. So he dresses it up to look like happiness. He tries to make them feel like they're missing out on something, and he convinces them of what, he, of what they think they should have. And that's what Satan still does today. That's why in John 8, when we studied John two years ago, he's called the father of lies. Satan lies to us and says things like, what God says doesn't matter, or God's standard is irrelevant or archaic. You don't have to follow it. Oh, there'll be no consequences for that. Oh, that's not going to hurt anyone. It doesn't matter. And there's so many lies the enemy throws at us. But friends, even though Satan lies to us, even though he throws these lies at us, we still cannot blame him when we sin. He still cannot make us sin. And back to Genesis 3 in the garden, Adam tried to blame God for giving him Eve. Who does Eve try to blame when she sins? Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent, he deceived me and I ate. So Adam tries to blame God for his sin, and God won't accept that. Eve tries to blame Satan for her sin, and God won't accept that either. The curse still comes, punishment still comes. Like Adam, Eve is held accountable for her sin. So if we can't blame God for our sin, and we can't blame Satan for our sin, where's the problem? And James has the answer for us. It is not a pretty picture. Look at verse 14 for us. Who's to blame when we fall to temptation? Look back at verse 14. But each person is tempted... When he is lured and enticed by, notice this phrase, his own desire. Friends, the reason we fall to temptation is we want to. It's inside of us. It's our desires. The problem, friends, is not the evil out there. The problem is the evil right in here, in our own hearts. And don't miss that because that's pretty life-altering. The the problem why we sin is not because of the evil out there and the culture or the lies of Satan or any of that. The problem is the evil that's in our own hearts hearts. Yet, friends, so much of church's discipleship strategies are trying to protect us from the evil out there, and they neglect the evil in here. So much of well-meaning parenting books, parenting conferences, parenting seminars are all about how to keep your kids from the evil out there, when in reality, the greatest threat to our kids is the evil inside their own hearts, just like our greatest threat is the evil inside of us. If we can get that, it'll change our discipleship, it'll change our parenting, it'll change how we live in Christian community. And look at verse 14 again. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Notice the word desire here. Desire means intense longings. 
we're enticed, we're lured, we fall into sin because of the longings, the desires of our own heart. Now, friends, desires of our heart are not necessarily bad. God's made us to be creatures who have feelings and have emotions and have desires, but our desires and longings can quickly become sinful. They can quickly become idolatrous. They can quickly get perverted. So the desire to eat is a good desire. But when we run to food for satisfaction and comfort instead of running to God, if we run to food not caring about our bodies, which are temples of the Holy Spirit, it becomes a sin of gluttony. A good desire for food can become an idolatrous desire. The desire to serve others is a good desire, but it can become people-pleasing or self-affirming. The desire for sex is a good desire, but when it gets expressed outside the context of marriage and serving one another in marriage, it becomes immorality. The desire to accomplish things and do well is a good God-given desire, but it can become selfish and workaholism and lead to neglect of relationship with God. And I think you get the idea. The desires are not necessarily bad, but our desires quickly lead us to sin, to idolatry, to perversion of what God desires. And those idols and misplaced desires in our hearts are our greatest threat. Because that's why temptations work on us. Because temptations are simply the opportunity that our hearts have been wanting. Those temptations are just the opportunity that our hearts want to connect to. The evil inside of us wants to connect to those opportunities out there. And this is nothing new. James is basically telling us what Jesus had already said. Mark chapter 7, verse 20. I want you to notice what Jesus said. And he, Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from where? What's the next word? From where? Within. The problem's not out there. The problem's inside. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Now verse 23. All these evil things come from where? From within. And they are what defile a person. Friends, the problem is our own hearts. The reason all those things from pride to envy to sexual morality comes is because of what's already in our hearts. Now, how do those desires of our hearts lead us astray? Well, James gives us a very vivid picture here. Look back in verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. We are lured and enticed by something. Now, this is an image from fishing. So I don't know if any of you guys are fishermen here in the church, but this is a fishing analogy that was common at the time when James wrote this letter. If you're fishing and you take a metal hook and drop it in the water, you're not going to catch anything because the fish is not going to go bite into a piece of metal that's going to kill him and pull him in. Instead, what do you, okay, fishermen, what do you put on the hook to get the fish to come? You put a bait, and sometimes it's called a, a lure. The very same word we're looking at here, you're lured, you put a lure, you put bait on there to get the fish to come. It makes whatever's on that hook look good. It makes it shiny. It entices the fish to leave its place of safety and come take a bite so you can draw it away. That's the very image that James is trying to paint for us here, that our sin nature, those idolatrous desires, misplaced desires in our heart, lead us to leave the safety of abiding in God. They drive us to leave the safety of obeying God and to follow what is wrong, to follow what is sin. And when we take the bite, like the fish, we're now pulled away. We're now carried away. We're lured because of us following that enticement that our desires have put before us. For instance, destruction comes to that fish when it takes that bite that it thinks is good, and then it pulls up and becomes someone's dinner that night, right? Destruction comes to us when we take a bite, where we humor that temptation and dwell on that temptation. It leads us away, just like a fish would be on that. And the path of destruction, when we follow temptation, is very clear. Look at verse 15. James gives a different image here, and he shifts image from fishing to childbirth. 
Why would he use a childbirth analogy? Because he's trying to make a point for us. Look at what he says. Then desire, the desires within us already, not desires out there. The desires in us, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Now, what in the world is James trying to say? He's saying, if you think from a pregnancy standpoint, once conception happens, it is awfully hard to stop that pregnancy. Then once conception happens, you can expect in nine months, most likely a baby will come and that baby will be born and that baby will grow. He's saying that's what happens here. If you allow temptation to take root, the process begins and it's awfully hard to stop. That something will result from it. So back to verse 15 here. Then desire, our desires, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. It will destroy us. Now, one thing that's helpful I want to make sure we're clear on in this, if you look at this process, temptations and sin are not the same thing. Temptations and sin are different. And there's been a lot of confusion for people because some people think that their temptations are sins. And friends, they're not. Temptations are the enticement to sin. And if by God's grace we do not go down the path of temptation, then we've not sinned. As a pastor, I met so many people through the years who are plagued with guilt because they still have the same temptations coming to them years and decades later. But the reality is if you're not giving in to those temptations, those temptations don't mean that your heart is far from God. The fact you hate those temptations is a great sign of God's grace, that God is changing you. But if you face the same temptation till the day you face Jesus, doesn't mean you're living in sin. The issue is not will you face them, but what do you do when you face them? Every temptation is another opportunity to run to Jesus for help. But friends, all too often, though temptation is not sin, too often it leads to sin because our desires won't what is being put before us. So that means, is there hope for victory, friends? If so often we fall, like we saw earlier, is there hope for us? The answer is yes, but the hope is not in me and the hope is not in you. The problem is in me and the problem is in you. So where is the hope? Well, the hope comes from God himself. God has to do what we can do. God has to fix what is broken in us that we cannot fix. Friends, when we're tempted, our only hope for victory comes from God. Look at what James is saying. Go back to verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God can be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And maybe you think, okay, how is this giving me hope for victory? All it says is God won't tempt me, but how is this a hope for victory also? Well, notice what James is doing here. James is taking us back to the character, the nature of God. And it's an interesting phrase here, because I would expect him to say, let no one say when he is tempted, I am be tempted by God, for God tempts no one. But he inserts a phrase that doesn't make sense at first on the surface to us. He says, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Now, why in the world would James insert that in here? Because he's turning our focus, friends, to the nature, the character, the holiness of God. When we say God is holy, that means God does not sin. All God ever does is pure, right, true, and good. So it literally says here that God cannot be tempted. You could translate it more literally, God is untemptable. So so James is saying, think about the character of God. God is so holy, he is untemptable. Now, if you ponder that for a minute, a question may arise in your mind. But wait, in Matthew, what happened to Jesus? In Matthew 4, Satan does what to Jesus? He tempts him, okay? Well, we're just told here that God is untemptable. How in the world does that work? And that's probably more than we have time to really fully wrestle with this morning. But simply this, on the surface here, Satan did try to tempt Jesus. But did it work? It was futile. Why? Because Jesus had none of those sinful desires in his heart to connect with the temptation that was out there. The reason we fall is our hearts want to fall. 
Our hearts see the opportunities and grab onto them. Jesus had no sinful desires in his heart to grab onto what Satan was putting before him in, in that situation. His holiness made him steadfast in that. And so he was tempted, while at the same time being untemptable, because he is holy. Friends, the holiness of God was the anchor that kept Jesus steadfast, and the holiness of God becomes our anchor as well. Not just because we know that God won't tempt us, but because God, who is holy, is working to make his church holy, like we sang about this morning. He's working to make us, as followers of Christ, more holy, more like Christ. And God delights in giving us help to conform us to more and more holiness, to be more like Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. I have it up on the screen for you. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, that us hold fast our confession. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, weakness here being our struggle with sin and temptation, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now stop there for a minute. Think about this, friends. In every respect, in every way that you and I have ever faced temptation, Christ understands because he has been tempted also, yet he is untemptable because he cannot fall to it because he's holy and perfect. Friends, whatever you are struggling with this week that you think only you are struggling with, Christ understands because he's been tempted in the same way, yet without sin. Think of the hope of that. Now verse 16 of Hebrews 4. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So what James is doing for us, he's saying, okay, God's holy, so he's not going to tempt you, but God himself is so holy, he's not able to be tempted. He's perfect. He's, he's so holy, he also wants to delight in giving you that holiness as well. His holiness becomes the anchor because he wants to conform us. He invites us to run, find mercy and grace to help in our time of temptation and our time of need. But friends, the holiness of God not only is the anchor for us when we're tempted, it's the anchor for us when we do fall to those temptations as well. It's the hope for victory to not sin, but when we do sin, it's the hope of forgiveness as well. Friends, when we looked at verse 15 in that awful cycle of desire, conceiving, giving birth to sin, and sin bringing forth death, friends, the good news is that cycle does not have to be completed. That cycle can be broken. If you, can, if you give into temptation and sin, doesn't mean that the whole process is going to have to finish because of what Christ has done. What has Christ done? He, the Holy One, has come. And he's lived a perfectly holy life, fulfilled the law that we keep breaking over and over and over again. And when he goes to that cruel Roman cross and dies for us and then rises from the dead, defeating death, what's happened is all of our sin has been put on him. But our mind is often to this because it's so easy to forget. All of his righteousness is put on us. All of Christ's holiness is given to us through what Christ does on the cross. So when God the Father looks at you just after you sinned, he doesn't see your sin. If you're in Christ, he sees Christ's righteousness, Christ's holiness covering you. And so we're able to, even if we've just fallen into temptation for the millionth time, we're able to run right back to God's throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in our time of need because we're covered in the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, I love what 1 John 1 says after it tells us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, we talk to God about it, we acknowledge our sins to him. He, God, is faithful and just. There's his character again, his holiness on display. He's faithful just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because all of our sins have been put on Christ and all of Christ's righteousness has been put on us. Friends, when we're tempted, our hope for victory comes from God. And friends, when we fall to temptation, our hope for victory then comes from God also. 
So if our only hope comes from God, if our only chance of victory is from God, then what are we to practically do? How do we practically appropriate this victory that God wants to give us over temptation? I want to give you three things this morning that I think helps us experience the victory that God has to give to us. So we have this tension of God has to give it to us, but yet God calls us to do certain things to receive it, to put ourselves in the path of his grace. So three things that I believe will help us find victory when we're tempted. Number one, quite simply, pray. I know it sounds really simple, but that needs to be our starting point here. Friends, when temptations are strong, I do not have the strength in me to overcome them. And when temptations are strong for you, you do not have the strength to overcome them in and of yourselves. We have no hope in our own flesh because the temptations are coming from within. Yes, there may be opportunities that the enemy is putting before us or the world is putting before us, but the problem is what's inside wants to connect with those opportunities. And so I don't have the resources, you don't have the resources to overcome temptation on our own. So what do we do? We run to God in prayer, asking our Abba Father for help to overcome. Now, what do we pray? I want to give you two things I believe you can pray in a moment of temptation to help find the victory God has for you. Number one, ask the Holy Spirit to control you. Ask the Holy Spirit to control you. If you are in Christ, if you're trusting in Christ alone as your Lord and Savior, then you already have the Holy Spirit within you. He's not departed from you, but we saw when we studied Ephesians that we're commanded to seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't fill ourselves. He has to fill us. So we ask him to fill us. That means for him to control us. So in the moment of temptation, we cry out and say, Holy Spirit, come fill us. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 13. This is a great verse to meditate on when you're battling temptation. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now that's the pattern that we just saw James 1.15 talk about. Desire conceiving, giving birth to sin, sin giving birth to death. Same idea now in Paul's writings. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But here's the contrast, here's the hope. If by what? By who? The Spirit. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Friends, there's hope. We don't have to fall to temptation, to those desires of our heart. If by the Holy Spirit, if He, the Holy Spirit, is controlling us and filling us, then we find hope to live. That's why Paul can also say in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It says elsewhere in Galatians there that the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and they're opposed to each other. And Friends, we all feel that tension every day of the desires of our flesh fighting against what we know God says. And the hope for this is not in you and me. The hope for us is the Holy Spirit filling us, controlling us. And so as we seek to walk by the Holy Spirit, experience His fullness, God gives us the victory. So the first thing to pray is ask the Holy Spirit to control us. But number two, when you're being tempted, ask God to show you the way out. Ask God to show you the way out. This is a really practical prayer, and it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is a verse I'd encourage you to write down and meditate and think about a lot. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Verse 13. Do we have that one on the screen there for us? If not, I'll flip over and read it for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is an amazing truth for us. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you'll be able to endure it. Again, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Again, friends, One of the lies of the enemy is that you're alone in this. Whatever you're struggling with this week, there's many other people, even here at Gateway, who've struggled with this week. But notice this again, taking us back to the character of God. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Do you realize that? That God is filtering out your temptations? 
He's not going to let you be put in circumstances that you will fall in without his grace. You'll never be in a situation where you cannot keep standing, not in your strength, but by his grace. He filters out what you experience so that you have a way of escape. With the temptation, he will provide the way of escape. Remember, he's holy, and he wants us, his church, his people, to be holy as well. So he will always give us a way out. So what prayer do we pray? We start with, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I might walk in holiness here. But then we pray, God, show me the way out. Show me the way out of this temptation. But then with that, we need to pray, God, give me the desire to run down it. Because so often we'll see the way of escape, and we choose not to run down it because of those desires of our heart that are contrary to God's will. So we pray. Second thing we should do when we face temptation, we pray. But second of all, think about the nature of God. Ponder. Spend time reflecting on the nature of God. Think about his attributes. Think about God's holiness, his greatness, his glory, his majesty, his love for us, his mercy, his grace. Think about who God is. Think about Christ in his perfect life. Think about Christ dying on the cross. Think about Christ hanging on the cross and suffering for the forgiveness of our sins. Think about Christ rising again and ascending back to heaven. Think of Christ being at the right hand of Father. Dwell on Christ because it will help free us from the power of temptation. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. We have that one up there for you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. There we go. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he, Jesus, is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, the very next verse, the first verse of chapter 3. Therefore, because Christ can help us in our temptations. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Think about, ponder, think deeply about Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Friends, when we are in the midst of a temptation, if we turn our mind from thinking about what we shouldn't do to thinking about Christ, there's so much victory that's found in that. As we think about his love and his character and the cross, we find freedom. So when we're tempted, pray. Number two, spend time thinking about the character of God, the nature of God. And number three, put on Christ-likeness. Put on, add Christ-like virtues to our life. We saw this when we studied Ephesians. It is not enough to just not sin. It's not just enough to just stop the temptation. We saw in Ephesians 4 when we went through it that God's will for us is not just not sin. God's will for us is to pursue Christ-like action, to put on Christ-likeness. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. To put off your old self. This is resisting temptation, not going down the path of sin. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful. Notice this. Desires. The reason our old self is corrupt is because of our own desires. Now verse 23 of Ephesians 4. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We start thinking more of like Christ. Now verse 24. Notice what we do in place of it. And to put on the new self. Create after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So friends, whatever we're being tempted to do, we need to seek God's grace to put on the corresponding opposite virtue if that makes sense, to not just put off the sin, but to put on Christ's likeness. So if you're tempted towards bitterness, it's not victory if you just stop being bitter. The way you find victory is you put on love towards that person you are being bitter towards. And so you put off the bitterness by God's grace, and you put on loving that person. If you're tempted towards selfishness, victory is not just, I'm not going to be selfish anymore. Victory is now sacrificially serving other people instead of using them for yourself. If you're tempted towards sexual sin, victory is not just, I'm not going to have sexual sin in my life. Victory is using sex in the context of marriage only to serve your spouse. If you're tempted towards anger, it's not to not get angry. You put on God's grace and you put on loving other people and caring for other people and serving them and building them up. And I think you get the idea. Whatever the sin, the temptation is, you find a lot more victory, not by just, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. You find victory as you pray, 
think about God and you seek to step out and do the exact opposite. Whatever God's clear will of Scripture is to do whatever the opposite of the temptation was to disobey Him. And friends, over the years, I've seen so many followers of Christ have their sin strongholds break when they take this third step. When they quit focusing on just, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. And start focusing on, how can I be more like Christ here? And put on that Christ-like virtue. Friends, when we're tempted, our hope for victory comes from God. And we get to experience that victory. We get to appropriate that victory as we pray. As we think about the nature of God. As we put on Christ-like thoughts and actions. So friends, this week, the temptations will come. So when, not if. The temptation may come even trying to get out on Bell Road today. Or driving home or the lunch crowd today, or with your kids or family this afternoon, but the temptations will come in your thought life today, whatever, the temptations will come. It's a when, not an if. And so when they come today, friends, as God's children, are we going to fall into them? Are we going to seek God's grace for the victory? Are we going to quickly run to God and say, help, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help, show me the way out. Give me a desire to get out. Turn my focus to you. Are we going to think and meditate on the character of God? Are we going to seek to then do what Christ would have us do. And I pray this week, brothers and sisters, that God gives us much grace as his children to where the lies of the enemy, the world around us, all that loses a little bit of his grip on us because God is so transforming our hearts. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful for your word and so grateful that you don't leave us where we are. But in your great love for us, Lord, you transform us. You show us how you want us to be. Lord, every single one of us in this room, we struggle with temptations. Lord, our desires are so often so far from what you want them to be. And Lord, we confess that to you right now. And Lord, you know everything. Lord, it's so freeing to be able to come talk to you and tell you what you already know. And Lord, I pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters, God, that we would not be people who are slow to confess our sins, slow to confess our weaknesses and our shortcomings. Lord, you already know them. But God, if we are in Christ, God, would you give us a holy confidence to come into your throne of grace and to talk to you about what you already know? We might seek the mercy and grace we need in our time of need. And Lord, we ask that this week you would give us victory over those temptations. Where there's people in this room who have strongholds in their life to where the temptations have gripped them for years or perhaps decades. Whether it's anger or bitterness or sexual sin or Lord, you know what it is. Lord, this week would you give to that brother or sister, Lord, victory. Not because of anything in them, but because of your grace at work in them. Where they see your longing for them to be holy. Would you see, would you let them see you yearning jealously over them because they're your child? Would you give them a fresh brokenness over that sin, a fresh longing to know you more? And I pray you give them grace to step out in victory this week over whatever has been plaguing them for days, weeks, months, or years. Lord, for all of us this week, Lord, would you turn our delight to you? And would you guard our hearts? Lord, our heart is so deceitful. Lord, would you let truth prevail in our thoughts and our emotions and our, our, in all of that this week, Lord? That, Lord, we would turn to you and your Holy Spirit filling us would change our affections, change our desires, so they become what you want them to be. Lord, we know as we follow down that path you give us, it's not easy, but, Lord, it's so good. We know as we follow down that path by your grace, we will find so much joy, God, and you'll get all the glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?